The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, it's Gabby from What's Gabby Cooking, and seeing as how we've all got a little extra time on our hands at home, um, hello, social distancing, let's get down to business in the kitchen. Come hang every Monday while we talk about all things food, and I answer your burning questions about cooking, ingredients, swaps, tips and tricks, etc. I'm also going to be highlighting super rad small businesses, and we're going to be learning about other incredible makers in the food world, and who even knows what else. Anything's fair game in 2020, right? What's Gabby cooking in the wild? Here we come. Hi, everyone. I'm Haley Hubbard, mom to three kids and wife to a touring artist. And I'm Jessica Diamond, a registered dietitian nutritionist with a master's in public health. And this is Meaningful Living. Every week, we're breaking down the overwhelming amount of parenting, nutrition, and lifestyle information into credible knowledge and simple tools. The Cliff Notes Guide to Feeling Confident in Your Everyday Choices. It takes a village. We're so excited to share ours with you. We're so excited to have Dr. Natasha Beck with us today. We've been following her work for a while, and you probably know her as Dr. Organic Mommy, and she is one of our go-to resources for all things related to pregnancy, parenting, and non-toxic living. We love that she draws on her experiences as a mom and as an expert in pediatric neuropsychology, and our missions are just perfectly aligned when it comes to empowering families to make healthy decisions for themselves. Her love for philanthropy is incredible, and all the proceeds from Dr. Organic Mommy go to charity. As we return to outside life following the pandemic, we realize we have a whole generation of kids and babies who have now become entirely used to being at home with their parents or caregivers all day and all night. So as we go back to work, start camp, and get ready for school in the fall, we wanted to have Natasha on to talk about some strategies when it comes to helping kids cope with change, socialize after the pandemic, and manage the inevitable separation anxiety. She shares so many incredible insights with us. This is a must-listen for parents navigating post-COVID life. Hi, Natasha. Hello. Hi, how are you? Very well, thank you. And you guys? Good. We're good. We're so excited to have you here today. Today, we want to focus on tackling separation anxiety as we move to this post-COVID world. I think we've all been feeling this transition. And so we really want to talk about how we can help our kids be the most successful in this transition because it feels like this is a major transition right now. It definitely is for ourselves as well. (laughs) Right. Right. So I think a good place to start is what is separation anxiety? Sure. So there's the classical you know, separation anxiety that you would experience as a young toddler or you know, a child under the age of one, that you have that typical clinginess. You're, you're, on a, you're, you're not sure where your parent or caregiver is going. And so that's very normal um, and very a, developmentally appropriate. But as the child gets older, you know, into kindergarten, the grades, separation anxiety becomes a diagnosed disorder once it is interrupting their daily life and to the point where they cannot calm down when they are separated from a parent or a caregiver and it starts to interrupt their daily routine. And what are some signs of separation anxiety in those normal like toddler age or, you know, sure. in, in that yeah. preschool age? How do we know if our kids experiencing separation anxiety? Yeah, the constant like the clinginess, wanting to be picked up, wanting to be held, you know, being upset if mom or dad needs to leave for work or needs to leave the home and crying, but then they settle down. You know, most kids will eventually settle down, uh, but separation anxiety is very normal where they do become upset 
And you have, you have to be okay with that. You know, something that I always say with to parents and caregivers is it's not your job to make your child happy. Your job is to have them learn to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And which is, which is a very difficult thing to do because no parent wants to see their child unhappy, but that's what sets them up for success later in life. Wow, that's so good. The other symptoms that come with separation anxiety, um, there's a lot of, there can be digestive difficulties um, involved. And so you want to take that into consideration if they're having nightmares at night and waking up, it becomes more diagnosable when they're just dreaming and having nightmares about being separated in general, and they're able to express that to you. So you just want to keep that in mind and watch out for those um, signs and symptoms as they get older. Great. Well, I think just trying to figure out now as we're going into this transition ourselves, like how can we help our kids transition and how can we ourselves transition back to this new normal of like going to school and activities and all of us are kind of returning to work and traveling more. I know we are definitely experiencing it in this household, which we can talk about in a little bit, but how, how can we help them with that? Sure. So the first thing with any change really, but very much it's applicable to what's going on now is to be ready for it and to be confident yourself. Because anytime you are projecting any kind of fear or worry or feeling that yourself and not preparing yourself, that is going to be projected onto your child and they will very much feel it. And when they think that you're not ready and confident, they don't feel safe because they see you as that stable pillar in their life. So you need to feel comfortable. So making sure you know, you know, what the guidelines are in terms of what the government puts out, making sure you know what you're comfortable with. Are you comfortable going indoors? Are you comfortable hanging out with friends, whatever that may be? So making sure you're aware of that. And once you are, be, let, let your child know what you're comfortable with, what the rules are, and then own it, and then make sure to prepare your child. Once you're owning it and you know what you're comfortable with, you need to prepare them. You can make a book. I love the company called Twigtail. It's for any chain, really. Uh, you can make your own book about if you're moving or if there's a divorce or whatever it may be, you can tailor it, which I love. Um, or you can just make your own kind of little book. Um, but not everybody has time for that. Cute. I love that. Yeah. It's really- Twig Tales is amazing. I, I use that a lot for Bryce. I love it. That's such a good recommendation. Yeah. And so, and then also having discussions with them. You don't want to just say, oh, my kids are saying, oh, I don't want to go to school. Don't just brush off their feelings and say, oh, school will be fun because that's invalidating them. I know you're trying your best intention is to try and fix it and solve it. School will be fun. You'll, you'll get to see your friends. You'll be so excited. But that's making them feel like, hey, but I'm still nervous about it. So you're, they're not getting what they need from you. So you need to, A, involve them with what's going on. Um, don't just try to distract them, you know, and talk about it with them and validate them. You know, a lot of the time is like you're just sitting there with them having those negative emotions, um, which is... I, I don't see it as a negative, but I know many parents feel like being sad or fearful is like this negative emotion. They're just feelings that there's no wrong or right there. They're allowed to have them and you want them to feel comfortable having those emotions and to figure out how to process them, how to sit with them and how to then eventually move on. And then you want to make sure you acknowledge whatever feelings they're going to have and ever, whatever thoughts they may be having about it. And then talk about what you're fearful of too in a developmentally appropriate way, of course. 
let them know that, yeah, it's a little bit scary to, you know, feel like, oh, I'm nervous to go back to work. You know, I've been home this whole time. I've spent so much time with you, you know, and I've had so much fun. And now we're going back into this pre-pandemic, you know, world. And so you can share a little bit about what you're feeling too, but let them know that always that you are that safe pillar of stability there. Mm-hmm. Um, but recognize that your child is always trying to tell you something, you know, right. um, they're acting out or not listening to you. They're trying to tell you something. They just, your language and their language aren't the same, you know, and you've got to figure out what they're trying to tell you. Right. Right. It's so funny you said that because the one time uh, we have three kids and our oldest is three and she one night was sharing something with me and I was like, I completely understand that. I I feel that way too. And she she looked at me and she was like, you do? And I think it just made her feel validated, obviously, because I was listening to her, but because I also felt the same. She was so surprised and like, oh, and you could just like see this weight off of her. Like, wow, that, I mean, because you you always kind of want to be like you were saying that pillar, but trying to find that balance of like, okay, how much do I share? Like what I'm feeling to her. It's definitely a balance, but if you're feeling a concern, let them know because, you know, there is a grief and loss anytime there's a change. You know, the silver lining of the pandemic for some people is that they were able to slow their life down. They were able to be at home with their kids more so than they used to be. I think what happened with your daughter is that she felt like, oh, I'm not weird for feeling this. This is not an anomaly. My mom feels this too a little bit. And that makes me feel a little bit better because it's it's not just me. Right. Because there's this like embarrassment that a lot of children, you know, typically in the early grades or even, you know, the the older kindergartners, they start to think, well, is anybody else thinking the same thing that I am? Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I mean, I feel that as an adult sometimes, like, am I crazy? (laughs) Today's episode is such a good episode to talk about our love of KiwiCo. You've heard us talk about KiwiCo because we're just obsessed with all they do. We always want to do activities that stimulate brain development and foster self-esteem and independence. The problem is prior to finding KiwiCo, it required so much time and effort to find those activities and then so much effort to execute them that it ended up being way too stressful and not as enjoyable or consistent as we wanted. I know all our listeners know what we're talking about. I found KiwiCo at the start of 2020 and seriously could not have gotten through the past year without them and don't know how I didn't know about them sooner. KiwiCo makes learning-based activities so easy, seamless, and enjoyable. They send fun and stimulating art and science projects that are all laid out for you straight to your door. All the projects are foolproof to execute, and that's coming from me, who is more of a follow directions girl than a DIYer. My favorite part, they're all activities designed to stimulate brain development, so I know Bryce is learning in the way he should be, and I'm not stressing about planning and executing an activity. We look forward to each crate we get delivered. If you could see the smile on Bryce's face when it's delivered, you would immediately sign up. Liv and I recently did the rainbow activity. It was adorable and so fun to do together. I got to teach her all about how rainbows are made. We made a stained glass, learned how to mix colors and create an adorable rainbow tote and made a stuffed cloud pillow with the cutest rainbow on it. All these activities are so fun in theory, but I probably wouldn't have done it if I didn't get KiwiCo with all the supplies and directions clearly laid out and sent to me. Life's busy, especially now, so I rely on KiwiCo to do the research and prep work for me so I can actually sit down with my kids, have those meaningful moments, and do activities routinely that help them learn. 
There's also no commitment, so you can pause or cancel at any time, which is something I always look for when I'm subscribing to a product. But I can almost guarantee you'll never want to cancel this one. We're so excited that KiwiCo is giving a discount to our listeners. And with KiwiCo, there's something for every kid or every kid at heart every month. Get 30% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line with code living at kiwico.com. That's 30% off your first month at kiwico.com, promo code living. You know, so we're actually leaving for a trip tomorrow for a wedding. So just kind of getting back into the swing of things. Again, I'm myself feeling a little anxious. Like, okay, we're going to get on an airplane and we are big travelers. My husband's work, we travel a ton. But obviously, we took a year off as everyone did. And and I'm like, okay, I'm going to leave my kids for the weekend. And how do I prepare them for this? What are some things that I say to them to prepare them? Hey, we're going to be gone for the weekend, but not to overdo it to where they're like so devastated over it. Sure. That makes sense. So A, you always do want to prepare so you have the right idea in mind. Um, what I like to talk about with young kids is not the the number of days that you'll be gone, but the number of sleeps, because that's something that they understand. So, you know, we'll, we'll be back in three sleeps. So one sleep, two sleeps, three, they understand that and they, they can comprehend that more. Um, most of the time, kids have a fear of missing out. So what will you be doing? What will I be doing while you're gone? So letting them know who they'll be with, who's going to be taking care of them, because the number one thing, again, is making sure your child feels safe. Uh, that's always what you want to project to your children. So also sharing some pictures, you know, letting them know what you'll be doing, what they'll be doing sometimes is helpful, even creating a book. So I know you're leaving tomorrow, but if you can, uh, if several days, you know, the more information that they know um, in terms of what they can anticipate uh, is better because then they don't feel like, oh, this, this is a surprise. This is a shock especially letting them know that you are going to be safe. How old are your children? They're three, one and a half and eight months. Okay. So they're still on the younger side. The second one can kind of understand things. Um, yeah. Luca, he's our middle one, but Atlas, he's still little. He probably wouldn't understand. You won't know. So typically for when you're traveling, when I recommend for younger children, you know, under the age of like one and a half, I would say when they start to hear your voice or see you, when you, you call, they, they may become upset because they are not understanding when are you coming back because they don't understand the concept of time. Even wow. still for a three-year-old, they might not get that. And so that's why I like to talk about the number of sleeps. You can even make like a little calendar. If you're going to be gone for a week, you know, they can cross it out. This is, you know, I'm done doing this sleep. I'm done. I'm crossing it out. So there's some kind of physical thing that they're doing at the same time. Okay. Right after this, I'm going to make a calendar. I love this idea. <laughs> is there, is, when should we start prepping our kids? Because sometimes I feel like prepping a day in advance feels, you know, sufficient. And sometimes if I prep too early, then, you know, Bryce will be asking me questions. And I sometimes feel like that riles up the anxiety, but I really want to prep him. So is there something that's too early to prep them? Or kind of a good window? So it depends on the child and depends on the situation. So like, for example, if you're pregnant with another child, you do want to prepare them, but you don't want to have it too early, A, in case something goes wrong. And B, you know, they're going to just, like you said, ask so many questions and it can kind of build up inside of them and they're not quite sure. So with pregnancy, as soon as you start to really show um, and everything is deemed safe by your physician, 
and you can let them know. And there's certain things you can do to prepare a child, you know, for a sibling, for example. Um, but if you're going on a trip, I say a few days is always probably best two to three days, depending on your child. Some children, you know, if they, you know, one day may be sufficient. If like you're going to, you know, the doctor and, or to the dentist and they're getting a checkup or a shot or whatever it may be, you know, letting them know the day before then, uh, or the day of, if you have some time um, and what will be happening. I love that you said that because I think sometimes we think if we prepare our child, like if we tell them they're getting shots, all of a sudden that might cause the opposite of what we want of making them more scared, but it actually has the complete opposite effect, right? The more we prep, the better they do in situations like that. Because they have time to ask questions as well, because you have to realize kids take time to process things. You know, they, even when they, you pick them up from school, like you don't want to like overload them with questions because they're still figuring out what did I do at school today? What happened? Which is why in the evening, that's when they start to tell you about their day because they've been processed it. It's not that they're necessarily trying to stay up later. It's that they're like, okay, I need closure. Walk me through what happened with my day, mom, dad. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. (laughs) We always tell Liv, we're like, are you procrastinating? And she's like, I'm not procrastinating. (laughs) (laughs) Because <laughs> she just like starts asking these random questions and we do talk about her day, but that's such an interesting way to look at it. Yeah. And if you notice that that's happening more frequently and it's like pushing bedtime later, you just move bedtime routine earlier and you start it a little bit sooner just to give them a little bit more time to process their day. Oh, okay. So this happened, gosh, a month or two ago, but we went out to dinner. We actually went to get our nails done with some friends and we brought Olivia, our three-year-old. And I was going to bring her home before our spontaneous out to dinner. And then I thought, well, actually she could probably stay with us. It's not a big deal. We're just going to go to dinner and go home. But all she heard was she's got to go home. She didn't hear my thoughts of, well, she could probably stay. She started crying. And then I said, no, Liv, it's okay. Like you can come with us. I know I should have totally waited until she was done crying and told her I changed my mind. It's not a big deal. All those things. Well, she came, she went out to dinner with us. She loved it. She still talks about it. But the next two weeks, every time we left the house, she started crying. And it, it was like this traumatic, like, oh my gosh, it was like we were leaving forever, kind of a, a tantrum. And I was like, oh my gosh, is this from that moment that she was crying and she realized that she got her way or is she really traumatized and having separation anxiety or both? It could be both, you know, definitely the smallest of incidents in an adult's mind could be the biggest in a child's mind. And so, you know, becoming that upset, thinking like, oh, I have to go home. Mom is leaving me. We haven't done this before. This is the first time what's going to happen. And there's no like preparation. There's no explanation. There's no validation there. You know, children become really overloaded with their feelings and not quite sure how to handle them, especially at the age of three, that becomes difficult. And so you need the adult to kind of help them along and help them process those feelings and sit with them. So yeah, sitting with her, letting her cry it out until she's calm. And like what I like to do with kids when they are screaming and they're in that state of like fight or flight, they physically cannot hear you or understand what you're thinking or what you're saying. So what I say is when you're calm, then I can help you. I can't hear you right now. You're screaming and I'm just sitting. That's it. 
I'm going to sit there with them. Some children need cuddles. Some children need space. Depends on the child. So you want to know your child and what makes them, you know, able to sit and process their feelings. And once they're calm, then you can kind of sit through and walk through the steps of a tantrum, which I have outlined out on my page really clearly how to walk, uh, walk through it along with like sample scripts, because I think a lot of parents and caregivers fumble with the language. Mm-hmm. Um, and the language is just so key with children, because like I've said before, adult language and child language, they're not the same. It's like, it's, it's a foreign language to them. Right. Especially when you're in that moment. Yes. It's very difficult to think like, well, what am I saying? What am I doing? But if you're ever unsure of what to say, just listen. And then repeat back what they're saying, narrate. Oh, a, a sports cast. If they're, if they're sitting there just screaming, you're really mad, you're going to just listen and wait and respect that process of having to deal with those feelings. But as far as like, is this intense separation anxiety that, you know, is not typical for a three-year-old, it's still in that typical range that's very uh, appropriate, developmentally appropriate. But if she's starting to get to the point where, you know, she's throwing up when you're leaving every time, she cannot settle down. It takes her an hour to kind of calm down and she's still upset, you know, then we want to figure out, okay, well, what may, we may need to process something that happened beforehand, which it does not sound like it in this situation, but right. for someone else, you know, think about like that, that's when, you know, you want to reach out to your pediatrician, see if like therapy is recommended to kind of figure out what trauma may have led to, you know, this, the, the severe separation anxiety. Thank you. I had a crazy year last year and I had a lot of separations from Bryce. And I think that he was at a really good age for those separations. And now he just turned three. So he's Liv's age. And I've noticed that in t- separation is getting harder than it was when he was one and a half, right? He, he knows what's going on more. And he's usually when he's with a, you know, a babysitter or my family or someone that he knows, he's great. And he really just rolls with the punches. And all of a sudden then he'll see me on FaceTime or he'll see me. And then that is when he gets really upset. What should you do in those situations when your kid gets upset in that moment when they see you? Because sometimes I think if I just sent him a video and it wasn't that interaction or I was reading him a book or something, he would do better than sometimes when he sees me at nighttime on FaceTime. I actually wrote a whole post dedicated to this and why I don't think it's great to FaceTime with your child when you're away. Rather send a video of you reading a book or telling them something or talking to them, singing a song, and then sending it to the adult who's with them to play for them. Because then they don't see that it's in real time. Because in real time, they get so upset and there's not understanding like, okay, you're here in two dimension. Where are you? When are you coming back? There's no concept of time. So like two days could be 20 minutes from now in their mind. They don't understand that. So if you present yourself in that situation and you did the FaceTime and they become upset, you're going to sit with them and say, Bryce, yeah, it's really hard. You miss your mommy. Crying, crying, crying. Sit with them. Yeah, you really miss your mommy. It's sad not to be with her. And I'm pausing for a really long time with you guys because that's how long I want you to pause with them. I, like at least several minutes where you just silent and let them just sit there, you know, because then that adult is providing that safe space for them to really be upset you know, you're not trying to fix it. Oh, they're going to come home soon. Don't worry, you know, or they'll bring you a gift. You don't want to try and fix everything for them. You know, we live in a society where we used to have like the helicopter parent just all over you. Now, now it's the bulldozer parent. 
let's let's move away all the obstacles for you so you encounter nothing. <laughs> when in reality, you want to try and get your kids to how do you build grit? You want to you want to get them to struggle. You want to yeah. let them figure out how to have those feelings. So sit with them, and then once they're calm, you, know, you can sit there and acknowledge you really wanted mom to be there with you. I get that. I remember a time when I wanted, when my mom left, you know, and she went out to dinner or she went away for a weekend to visit whomever, you know, I remember missing her. I remember that. I didn't thought, well, I was with my grandma and she was taking care of me and or my nanny. And she's, we, we got to do a lot of fun things. And there were times where I felt better and times where I felt sad and I missed her. And just end it with that. And the end, the closure is to make sure as the adult to say, like, remember, it's my job to make sure you're safe, to make sure your body grows and to make sure you're a kind person. Most things fall under those three categories. So you can always do that. And then you close it with, I love you. Wow. I just feel so much better after you said that. (laughs) I feel so calm. See, this is meditative too, you know, we can, we can, we can check that off our list today. We did our, you know, mindfulness and meditation. Right. It's so simple, but it's so powerful at the same time, right? It's, yeah, I feel so calm after you even said that. I think we tend to overcomplicate things, you know, and it, you have to realize with kids, it's not as complicated as like the world makes it seem or we make it seem. We overcomplicate it. It's really about just meeting them where they're at and listening most of the time. Most of us are horrible listeners. Right? Yeah. 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 Totally. And it's something that you said in the beginning, which is it's not our job to fix it for our kids, but it's our job to allow those uncomfortable feelings. And I think that's as hard for us as parents as it is for the kids. And I just think having that reminder to know it's okay for those quote unquote negative emotions, but just sitting with them and allowing them in a safe environment to process that is really our job as parents. It's actually harder for, as parents to to sit there within the child. The child, yes, is uncomfortable, but most of the time it's harder as a parent or a caregiver to really see that uncomfortable, like, oh, I, I want to make it feel better. No one, it's human nature to make, want to make someone feel better. You know, we want to help people. Uh, so it's definitely tough, but that's, that's what parenting is, you know? Well, I know after last year, I think Jess and I really want to talk about socialization because that's something adults and kids are trying to figure out and navigate at this time. But, you know, I've noticed it in my own parenting where I'm like scheduling my kids for, oh, okay, ballet camp and nature camp and um, gymnastics and swim. And like, how many activities are way too much for one week? And and where's that balance? Because I know that we, we kind of feel like, oh, our kids have missed out for this past year. Yeah. We want them to, to catch so, up in a way. But... Yeah. Um, what is the problem with overscheduling and where do we find balance in that? So you're going to see children start to act out, quote unquote, and really have difficulty because they're going from this slower pace life where they didn't have much or anything at all, really, to the, the constant back and forth activity every single day. You know, there's definitely a happy medium. Like you said, there's a balance, but knowing where, what that is, is, you know, depends on the child and depends on the child's age. So for younger children, honestly, under the age of five, the most important thing for them is to play um, and having lots of time of unstructured play, because that is how you prepare your child for success, not only in life, but academically. You need the building blocks of play, which, you know, look at sequencing 
problem solving, creativity, and so many other things that they get from play. You know, so setting up a few play dates for your kids under the age of five, I would say under the age of five, no more than two to three activities a week. Um, but they really don't need more than that. You know, you might say like your later preschooler, you know, your four-year-old might say like half days um, or, you know, full day of like camp. That's fine. But nothing after camp. If you got camp scheduled, let's not have activities every single day. That's a lot for them. And it becomes very overstimulating. And then they have difficulty falling asleep and they're overwhelmed and they're having like more you know, meltdowns, which is different from a tantrum. They just can't calm down because they're sensory overloaded, too much going on. Yeah. I'm really relating everything that you're saying. And Jess and I do this quite a a lot with the things that we talk about with kids. I'm relating it to my own life. Like, okay, three to five activities a week (laughs) and that's it. Um, Because sometimes what? It becomes too much for us too. Right. I mean, I'm looking at our schedule and I'm like, I don't even see an open day for us to schedule when someone says, Hey, can we get together for a dinner? I'm like, I don't see an open day. And it gives me anxiety. I mean, Tyler, my husband and I were talking about it last night. I'm like, we're too busy. We're way too busy right now. And so trying to find that balance for myself, but also for the kids is just kind of overwhelming right now. And I think we're going from one extreme of having nothing to the other extreme, but we need that balance. So like, Honestly, putting blocks in your calendar, if that helps, for at least a date or night or two for you yeah. and your, your partner. You know, a day date also, if possible, I think is really important um, for just establishing and making sure your relationship, you know, stays strong. And then having several days during the week, especially for children under five, where they have nothing, they get to just play. And you have that sense of feeling of freeness where they can just create and you know, stick them outside with some bowls, some turkey basters, some ice cubes and water and let them go at it. And they just really sit there and figure things out. And there's so much learning going on there. You're speaking Bryce's language. A turkey baster and a bowl of water is easily 30 to 45 minutes. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. And if they're, if your son like or daughters aren't in like a camp per se, you know, a couple of play dates a week, you know, with some, a few other, you know, one or two other kids is great so that they start to, if you have an only child, you, they start to figure out well how to navigate, you know, being with each other and stepping back and waiting while they figure this out. You know, you may need to intervene if there's hitting going on, you know, I'm going to put my hand here. It's my job to keep everybody safe, you know, and not impose like sharing on a child, but like this child is playing with this toy right now when they're done with their turn, you may have a turn but letting those interactions play out and unfold so that it prepares them for school when you're not going to be there. Wow. I'm learning so much. (laughs) I'm so glad. (laughs) What comes to mind from this is I think there's this natural impulse after this past year to schedule our kids and everything that they missed out. And so I think there's this looking back in this past year, it's like, well, if the pandemic didn't happen, my kid would have been doing X, Y, or Z. So let me fill those in so that they don't miss out on that. But what I'm taking from you is if we overschedule them, they're not going to be getting the benefits of those activities as is. So we should really think about what are the couple activities and be confident in that and allow them to have that extra time. Definitely. And like this FOMO, like, you know, of what adults perceive as like, oh, we're going to miss out on all this stuff. And they they didn't get to you know, they missed a year of soccer and now they're not going to be as good. But what did they gain? Think about what they got this last year. 
kids became, you know, most kids, not all kids, but uh, became a lot more flexible, more adaptable. They figured out how to like play with not that much around and they had to be in the same environment. There was a lot of learning going on. They, they cooked with you more because you had to stay home and cook. There was a lot. It's just a different kind of learning. And when young children are young, academics are like 10% of the pie, you know, no one's going to think back and say like, when did you learn to read? Was it five, six, seven, eight? You know, no one asks you that. Mm-hmm. Um, you get there when you get there. Uh, but they learned a lot this last year. So I think it's just reframing that in the minds of adults will help make that transition easier for children. I love that you say that because I think we all keep talking about how how nervous we are about the effects of 2020 on our kids and everything. And and really, I don't think we focus enough on what did they gain? You're right. They gained so much, but just by being home with us. Yeah. For some people, it was a huge benefit, you know, because it really slowed children's lives down, you know, and yourselves. And so you were more present with your children. And like, there was different learning going on that otherwise wouldn't have really been there. I would love to know is what's your number one question that parents come to you with? That's a great question. I think probably the number one is how to deal with kids tantrums and, you know, kids hitting and fighting is the number one thing. Yeah. Tantrums first and then hitting and fighting. I think tantrums are just really overwhelming for parents. A lot of the time parents aren't aware of like what's triggering them. Um, Like, why am I so upset seeing my child be upset? Like what's going on for me? Like, or my child's not eating right now. Like, why am I freaking out? You know, um, is it that like you had disordered eating as a child and you wanted them to like make sure that they only ate healthy and nothing else because you never wanted them to go through what you went through. So you have to figure out what your agendas are and what you're projecting onto your children. And so that's important. If you were raised in a household that like never allowed you to express your feelings, you always had to be quiet and go to your room and you know, don't be sad or cut it out and stop crying or you're not allowed to cry, you know, when you see your children cry, that can bring up those feelings. And so sometimes I recommend like just finding a way to reparent yourself, which often happens when you have a family, you know, Uh, and hopefully most people are with a partner or have a great relationship with someone, a friend or whomever, where they can have that ability to reparent. I mean, exactly. Exactly. That's, that is, I think it's so true. And when we have kids, I always look at it as this opportunity for us to become the best version of ourselves. It might sound cheesy, but it is really the growth opportunity for adults. Oh, huge. I I feel like I'm learning every day. You know, everybody's like, oh, you have all these degrees and you know everything, but I'm constantly learning, not only just from my kids, but, you know, parents and caregivers who message me every day. I, you know, I never say I know everything. Otherwise, life would be so boring. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true, though. You learn so much through through your kids and and just watching them. And I start remembering parts of my childhood, and it's just bringing me back to these things that I thought I would never remember. Right, and I think it's important that you bring that up—that you remember things from your childhood because you should share that with your child. Children love stories, especially from your childhood. They could just, even if they're like the most you know, pouring of story to you, they love hearing it and they want more and more and more. The children just love stories in general. So especially ones from your childhood, just wanted to get in there. (laughs) Thanks for that reminder. That's really good. What's your best parenting advice? Um, Well, the quote that I had said earlier is one of my 
big things is it's not your job to make your child happy. It's your job to make them comfortable with being uncomfortable and learning how to be uncomfortable. Um, because I think so much in this world where, you know, we're at a point where young adults are going to work and that they can't handle the criticism or the constructive feedback. And so they actually bring their parents in to say like, well, come talk to my boss, you know, and you don't want that. And like professors now at universities are having parents come in and talk to them. And it's a struggle. Like I've never had to deal with a parent before. Like I'm dealing with college students. What what is going on? So you've got to really, I think like, honestly, I have that written out for my in-laws, my parents, and like even my kids' godparents so that they really get it. I'm like, you're not supposed to fix my child's feelings, you know? And so really, I want to drive that point home. Gosh, that is so good. I'm going to print that out and put that on the fridge. I think that is something that anyone coming in, you know, if it's grandparents or anyone, I just think having that quote up there is so powerful because it's a good daily reminder. And then I'll do one more. Instead of threatening with an if, empower them with a when is something I say, because if you're going to say like, if you don't get in the bathtub right now, you're not going to have any books tonight. When you get in the bathtub, then we'll have time to read our books afterwards. So you see the difference in like, not just the tone, but it doesn't feel as like much of a, you know, tenuous fight there. You know, when you get dressed, then I can hear what you're telling me. Oh, I love this. The when. Yeah, it's always the when. Whenever, when you do this, then I can do that for you. I love that. I'm using that tonight. Great. <laughs> Let me know how close. <laughs> I will. Oh, I'm learning so much. Jess, do you have any other questions? I mean, Natasha, I could talk to you all day. I just, I'm so happy you came on to just share all of your knowledge. It's so practical and just helps us so much. So I'm so appreciative. Should we ask your last question of the day? What made you feel full this week? Ooh, great question. It can be anything. It doesn't have to be kid related, but it can be. It's not kid related. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, the summer produce starting to come in uh, at the farmer's market. I just get so much energy when I'm outside. It's beautiful and sunny. I'm soaking up nature and all of the produce that we can, we get to enjoy. And I'm very fortunate in in California. Yes, you are. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. That makes me feel full too. The sweetness and the colors. It's, it's, I love summertime. That's such a good one. So much. I go overboard at the farmer's market and I probably go to the farmer's markets every day if I could. It's hard not to. It's so pretty. It is so pretty. All right. Well, for all the people that are wanting to ask you so many more questions, because I feel like people are going to be like, I want more. Um, How can they find you if they want more info? So I've got an Instagram. It's at Dr. Dr. Period Organic Mommy. I also have a website, DrOrganicMommy.com. And those are two places where you can find me. And remember, all the proceeds from my page go to charity. So I'm always trying to share, you know, products and things that I personally use and like and meet my standards. And so, yeah, you can always message me there. And I do mini parenting consults when I can. And yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you. We love you. And we love your philanthropic heart. And thank you for sharing all you had to share today. Thank you guys so much. I had such a great time. Thanks. Us too. Natasha, that was so great. You're amazing. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you found something meaningful from this episode. Please follow the show, rate, and don't hesitate to write a little review. 
We also have a voicemail box. You can call to ask us any questions, tell us the topics you'd like covered, or just share where you're struggling and how you could use some extra support. Call 833-444-FULL or 833-444-3855. We want to hear from you. And tune in every Monday for a new episode of Meaningful Living. And if you're looking for more ways to live a meaningful life, follow us on Instagram at Meaningful Living and visit our website, MeaningfulLiving.com. And don't forget with two L's. Can't wait to see you next week.